Well, we've been talking about boundaries, and we'll try to get serious here after we've kind of lost it a little bit. We were away last week. The week before, just as a reminder, we'll talk about the first four, first five laws of boundaries. And they were sowing and reaping, which is the cause and effect boundary. There's the law of responsibility, and that is that we have a responsibility to each other. Not in how we, not only in how we relate to one another, but also how we treat each other. So the way I say it has a lot to say, do with it as much as what I'm saying to you. That there's a certain respect there. There's a certain um, responsibility to you to reach out and to make sure things are, are good between us. The other law was power. And that is power can be misleading. Power is not something you have over somebody. Power is something that you exercise. It's something that exudes from you. Power has to do with having restraint when I'm upset so that I don't hurt somebody. And at the same time, helping someone. So you see it's on both sides. It's not only I have some power of influence with you, but I also have to be careful that I don't have the power of abuse, that I misuse power. And we talked about how it relates to AA and how that Bill Wilson, Bill W. they referred to him, realized that every time he tried to get sober in his life on his own, without others, he couldn't succeed. He realized that he needed others as accountability, not because they're telling him don't drink, but because they're doing the same thing. In a group of people, as Proverbs says, iron sharpeneth iron. When you're with other people on the same path, you can be stronger. You realize and you draw strength from one another. We do that here as a body of believers. We draw strength from one another. That has to do with power in a form. It's just it's the, right on the level of the definition of strength. We draw strength from one another. It's not that I'm taking advantage of you or you're taking advantage of me or that I'm pushing you. It's that we talk together and we, we exercise godly uh, characteristic of, of strength and power. The other one was, uh, and I mentioned it, was respect. We need to respect one another's boundaries. We need to respect one another's opinions. We need to respect one another's no. If, if you're not up to doing something, don't try to talk somebody into something that they've already said, I'd really rather not. It's not your job. That's starting to misuse the law of power. If I put enough pressure, like the kids, mom, 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 mom eventually mom says, go. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it anymore. But that's setting the wrong standard for those kids because they learn later on that they can do that and they can get what they want. So we need to be, our, and that's why the Bible says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. Don't try to push people around with power or with influence. And the last one was motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? If you want to have an intervention with somebody, why? And that was one of the things that the, that the uh, professor who was my mentor told me. He said, don't go back and talk to your dad and say, I'm sorry, because you want him to say he's sorry for what he did. That's the wrong reason. You go to clear your own conscience and if you read in Matthew, it talks about if a brother has odd against you. It's not talking about going and fixing him. It's talking about you going and getting freedom from that damage you've done and making amends. So those were the first five laws. Now we're going to finish with the last five laws. And what we're going to talk about, you're going to start to see that these all overlap, kind of like circles. Each law has a component that also attaches to the other law. 
Because what you're going to find in the end is you're going to see some of the fruits of the spirits in all these. Which the Bible tells us to grow, to exercise, and to, to utilize the gifts of the spirits, not only in my own walk, but in my church, in my community, in my work. Because then that is the reflection of God in your life. And that's your testimony. So you can start to see how it all fits together. We talked about in the last session how that God created the world with a set of laws. And those laws are of right and wrong behavior. And we were using the owl and the pews on the right side. We were talking about God's law. On the left side, we were talking about my selfish desires, the world or Satan's side of it. So we're going to get into that a little bit more today. <coughs> Let's start with law number six, the law of evaluation. The law of evaluation has to do with evalu evaluating the effects of setting boundaries and being responsible to others. Now, the way that I would explain this would be similar to what I was sharing earlier with my dad. I had to step back and say, I know I've got to resolve this issue between my dad and I, all this anger that I've pent up over the years. But I need to look at why I want to do it. Is it a continuation of a misuse of power that I want him to say he's sorry now that I'm an adult? Was I trying to clear the air between us and somehow fix our relationship? But I still had to realize there's two people who are making choices here. He may choose to continue the way he is. So this is what it's talking about. You need to evaluate when you're working on amends or when you're working on building relationships or reestablishing, reconnecting with relationships. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just realized... It's not moving. I'm just looking at my lesson. They're all trying to catch up. Sorry about that. My usual PowerPoint person is not here. Yes, would you please? We were having so much fun at the beginning there, we lost track of what was supposed to be happening. <laughs> I'll let Lori run through those uh, PowerPoints for you to make sure that you have gotten the first ones there. And we'll just tell George, edit this all out. <laughs> Okay, there's the law of evaluation. It has to do with evaluating the effects of setting boundaries and being responsible to others. When I am choosing to interact with other people, I need to really evaluate why I'm doing it. Am I doing it to influence them in a way to get what I want? And this is really touchy when you're in relationships. If it's your husband, if it's your, if your wife, why do I argue and fight over certain things. What is, it, what, what is it that I'm trying to influence them to do? Is it to make us a better couple? Or is it to get in my way? You know, the scriptures are very clear that God understands that right down to the dividing of the bone and the marrow. He knows our motives. Why are you doing it? If you're doing it to build the relationship in Christ, then that's the right direction. If you're doing it to get one over on your spouse or your parent or your child, then I would evaluate that real carefully. Why are you doing that? You need to look at the influences of that individual on your life. Was it building your relationship with Christ? Or was it kind of pulling you away? And you're going to have that in every single relationship, whether it is your, your children learning to date and to find their spouse, whether it's you and your spouse, whether it's you and your parent. It doesn't matter. There's always that tendency for us to want our own way. And we'll, we'll read a verse about that here in a little bit. 
It is unrealistic to think that I can set boundaries and not ever hurt others' feelings. That's unrealistic. When you correct your child, their feelings are usually hurt. But you corrected them in love so that they wouldn't get hurt. That's a little different. In the sense, it's not misusing the power of, a, of um, the law of power. It's actually using it correctly. I'm the parent. I can see they're going to get hurt. I tell them you're not going to go. So I'm actually doing something to benefit them. That would be the appropriate use. But as you get older, if the only reason you tell them they can't do something is because you can, that's become a motto in our hand in our home. Don't do it just because you can. That's not a good reason. You need to do it because the Lord is actually motivating you to do it. Just because someone makes himself convenient to you in a dating relationship doesn't mean that's the person for you. And that's what you have to evaluate. Jesus made reference to entering through the narrow gate to get on the road that leads to heaven. You had the broad gate, you had the narrow gate. What he was trying to say was, don't go with the flow. The world is dying and going to hell. You're going to have to make decisions that make you look different. And you're not making the decision to look different. You're making the decision because of relationship with Christ. That means the people that are in the world, living in the world, they're going to look at you and say, you're different. What's wrong with you? Well, you should be different. You should be making an influence on them to where they look at you and they say, okay, why is he different? What makes him different? And then as you have that opportunity, there's your t opportunity to testify. I'm different because the Lord has changed my life. Choices made have, have to be made in life, and, make, and many involve making sacrifices. Not everyone will be happy with your choices, but you want them to see that you are changed. You want them to see Christ in you. We need to evaluate the pain of our choice our choices cause and respond with empathy towards those affected. Now here we go with another aspect when we're talking about the law relation. How I say to them, I'm not going to go out and drink with you guys anymore is just as important as the fact you're not going out to drink with them. Because if I say it in a way of putting them down, then was that really motivated by the Holy Spirit? I would challenge you to really look at that because that would not be something motivated by the Holy Spirit. Here's another opportunity to be a testimony of God in your life. So how you say to them, I'm not going to go out, you're making a choice. You're saying, no, I'm not going to go over on this side and party. But how I say that can have an impact on your relationship with them to God and pointing them to God. There will be times when we have to confront others for the wrong they have done and evaluate our motives in the confrontation. I think I've already mentioned that. When I went to speak with my dad, my mentor helped me to really evaluate, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to talk to him? If it's to get one up on him, then the situation's not going to be any better than it was. Why do you want to talk to your parent in a way that's going to tell them how much they've hurt you. Is it to make them feel bad? Or is it to reconnect re, uh, with that relationship and say, 
I want to make our relationship better than what it is. We've always had a little bit of hurt between us, and it stems back to that whole situation. But I need to move on. I need your forgiveness for how I acted in the situation, in that conflict. I'm not here to tell you you need to be sorry. I'm here to say I'm sorry because of the way I handled that. My response was no better than what you said. Our goal should never be to inflict pain, but to set boundaries that ensure safety for all concerned, not just yourself. Your focus is going to be on having boundaries that keep you safe, but in some cases you're going to point out things, especially with your children or your spouse. When you say, I'm not going to be a part of that, there's a way to say that without making the other person feel bad. Because there are times when I had to say, and Joy will talk, you know, she'll acknowledge this, there were times I would say, you can go spend time with that individual, but my feelings are, and my belief is that you're going to get hurt. She doesn't have your best interest in mind, but that's your choice. I needed to give her that freedom to continue on relationships that she felt she wanted. It's not my job to tell her she's my spouse. She's not my child. But then there were times that we both talked to each one of our kids and said, this person doesn't have a real good influence on you. You need to be careful. I see you changing, and it's not for the better. So that tells me their influence is causing you to rethink the standards that we know you've set for yourself. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. When you think about that, you think, well, isn't that what we do in church? Most of the time. Most of the time. But even in a church, you're going to find that when you're approached to do something in the church, your tendency is to think that I can't say no. Why is that? Or you're approached to do something in the church and you're afraid to say yes because you don't think you can do it. So don't have falsehood. If I'm not being honest about my real goal, my intentions here, my own motivation, if I don't honestly say what's going on, and when again, it, the law of valuation is to look at why you're saying it and how you're saying it, then I do it and I'm miserable. Have I actually had any kind of growth here? I need to really evaluate the my statements, my yeas and my nays, and, and determine, am I speaking truthfully or am I actually underneath not being truthful? I think we all need to evaluate that one personally and ask ourselves that. Proverbs tells us, as iron sharpeneth iron, so we need the confrontation and truth from others to help us grow. In a body of believers, sometimes... I know George and I at times have talked with individuals who have come to us one-on-one, and our response is, I would not do that. We don't tell them, don't do it. We don't tell them, you can't do that. We just say, I would not do that, and here's my reasons why. The law of evaluation said we looked at making sure that we don't hurt their feelings by telling them they shouldn't in the way that we said it. But at the same time, we put a boundary out there that we told them, we felt you need to have this type of a boundary to protect yourself and others involved. So we need to look at, are we actually sharpening the people around us? Or are we hurting them? Based on what Proverbs tells us. 
Are we sharpening the people around us in our relationships, making them a better person, or are we bringing them down? That's another way to look at it. Are we building them up with our no's? Or the way that we're saying no makes that individual feel worse about themselves. I need to check that out. Law number seven, the law of proactivity. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I think we've all heard that somewhere along the line before. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. When your child says, I want candy, and you say no, what's the reaction? <laughs> Someone was already doing it. <laughs> I want my candy. No. <laughs> when we do something, when we say no, it causes that person to react to what we've said. Or sometimes when we're giving advice to our kids or to our friends, and we say certain things that I wouldn't do that, they become hurt. There's a reaction. Every time that you do something, there's a reaction. So the, the first law we talked about, evaluation, says try to minimize the pain that you're causing, but you need to say no. The law of proactivity says don't wait till that person is already down the road and hurt and then say, well, you shouldn't have done that. I could have told you that. Well, how's that make that person feel? <laughs> it's like, oh, so that means you really care. You didn't stop me. <laughs> we need to have a proactive approach in sharing when we know that individual's considering it and it comes up in our conversations, we need to have the proactive stance of, well, I, least I see a problem here. I think somebody's going to get hurt. Now, realize I said, I think. I didn't say, somebody's going to get hurt and I push on them. I'm telling them my opinion. As believers, we're to share one another what God is showing us. So sometimes just saying, God's been showing me this is another way of influencing that person to think about it differently than they are. We know from the field of counseling and psychology, what we see is, did you realize that you remember more hurts than you do positive times? Why is that? Because of the pain. That's why in, in Celebrate Recovery, we tell people when you're doing your inventory, make sure you remember the positives as well as the negatives. Make sure you have a balanced perspective. You might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, as a child who's been abused, they may only choose to remember the person that hurt them throughout all their life. What about the rest of the people in the home? Did they hurt you too? Or was it just that one individual? We get tunnel vision with pain. We only see our pain. We only know that it came from that direction and we've been hurting. And then we ruminate and re-roll in that pain. The problem is we never let go of it. So we become very unhappy, hurt, and actually angry. We keep on doing it. The event happened long ago, 10, 15 years later. I still have all that pain. The individual hasn't been there all those years. So who's creating the pain? I am because of the way I'm choosing to remember it. I need to be proactive, deal with things, and then move on so that they don't hold me down. They don't become weights that hurt me. Paul tells us that wrath and sinful passions are a direct reaction to the severity of the law. I struggled with this a little bit because I'm thinking, I'm trying to understand this. And I think what Paul was trying to say here, and I, I may not be totally theologically right here, but this is my take on it. God's word is giving us the systems of laws, of boundaries, 
pros and cons. If you walk this way, all throughout Proverbs, if a man walks this way, he will be righteous in God's eyes. If a man talks this way, if a man uh, praises God, he will be blessed of God. If a fool, you notice he always changes the term. If a fool or if a man follows after the harlot, if a man follows after evil, evil desires, will be the outcome, death. The eventual outcome is death because he's following sin. So when he's saying here that the wrath and the sinful passions are a direct reaction to the severity of the law, the law is, and it's always going to be, and we're not going to change it. God has laws of good and evil, and if we choose to go over on evil, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a reaction from God if you're his child, because you're going to feel a sense of conviction that you're not where you should be, and if I continue down that road, I'm going to go through the consequences of those choices. Just as the man who chooses not to go down those roads has the positive consequences of those choices. It is really that simple. What does God's word say is right and wrong? Don't allow your sin nature to start pulling you, well, you know... It's, in, it's a different world we live in now. I hear that all the time. <laughs> it's a different world. You don't understand. You start to rationalize the, the right and wrong of God's word, and you're going to start sliding. And that's why the one before was talking about being honest and truthful in your inward parts. Let's look at a few verses. Romans 5, 20. Um, the law was added so that trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. His word is telling us the, what is sin and what is not sin. We have a reaction to that because we realize we're out of line with his law. What he's trying to tell us is my grace will cover that sin as well as your hurt, your shame, your feelings of regret. He says it'll cover it. Make good choices. Back in Proverbs 20 uh, or Psalms 37, where it says a righteous man will uh, will fall, but he rises every time. The point there being that he's doing something proactive every time he realizes I've stepped off the right road. I've gotten off the narrow road. He makes it right, gets back on the road, and doesn't allow all that garbage to collect that goes along with wrong cho choices. Another verse. Romans 7.5 For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies and that, so that we bore fruit for death. The law is telling us it's, you walk this way. When we go off and we choose bad choices and when we were in our sinfulness and we didn't know God, we were, we were eventually going to die. And not, that's not just talking physical death, that's talking spiritual death. It took God's word and it took God's spirit to pull us out of death, to pull us out of that, off that road and put us on the right road. Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. Shifting gears a little bit and talking about family relationships. Fathers, do not exasperate. I think another interpretation there is provoke. Instead... Provoking, exasperating your child is wrong. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Another way to look at that is, where are you putting all your energy with your children? 
Where's all your energy? We get caught up in what's going on all around us. Do we always realize how they're absorbing what we're doing? And keep in mind, a child absorbs what they see. Perception is reality for them. It may not be what's going on and they only saw one glimpse, but if they see that a lot, their perception is, mommy and daddy are having problems. Or as I shared one other time, it was a college student who said, as a child, my parents were always fighting about money and our names always come up that they couldn't afford us or that we were a problem to. His earliest remembrances were, if I stay out of the situation, they won't fight and then we won't have any more problems. And he grew up very much a loner, very much struggling, not in how he'd interact, somehow feeling that if he got involved, he might be the downer on the situation. He has to fight that in his own tapes, in his own ingrained belief system and change that. Throughout the New Testament, believers are exalted to follow the truth set forth in Scripture and avoid sinful pleasures that only last for a season and end in death. You go back and you read from Matthew on. A lot of Jesus' words and his teaching were about what produces life and what produces death. Everything he said to his 12 followers, as well as the people who followed, he kept telling them, giving them instruction on how to live. Not everybody believed, and not everybody listened. But the exhortation was there, and that's why when they stand before God, there'll be no explanation or reason to not go to hell. His creation points to him. It's understandable that victims of abuse want to react strongly to harm done to them. At some point, healthy boundaries must be reestablished. Most people, when they get older and they realize what happened to them was wrong, they've already had anger, but now they really become angry. One of the things I had to process in my own life is, as I realized the anger and the problems between my dad and I, the person that I had always elevated all the time, I realized along the way, was just as much at fault because she never stopped it. That was my mom. She never stopped it. So I was putting all that anger on dad, and I realized later it was a dysfunctional family. (laughs) That's all it was. Don't put it all on one person. Both people were part of the problem. And you get angry. You have to deal with anger after you've processed some of this. But a healthy direction would be make the amends that you can. Let go of the anger. Give it to the Lord. Allow him to be the righteous judge that he is. Not me. That he is. Let's look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use freedom to indulge the sin nature. Rather, serve one another in love. There are several things here. He's saying you're called to be free. Underneath that statement is the principle of, if I get caught up in all this anger and all these worldly issues, it's weighing me down. That's not the way God created you to be. He wants us to recognize our forgiveness and our freedom in Christ. To get rid of, as it says in Hebrews, the weight and the sin that does so easy so easily beset you. Get rid of it. Every day. Give it to the Lord. I want to be used by you and I want you to have the freedom to show me how I can be used 
without my garbage getting in the way. The second point, don't use your freedom to indulge in the sin nature. When he gives you that freedom, don't look back at the things that were tasty morsels throughout your life that were sin. And say, I have forgiveness now, so you know, maybe I can just kind of step back into that old lifestyle. Rather, serve one another in love. Galatians 5.15 If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will destroy each other. Talking about conflict, talking about unresolved issues. If you continue, and I've been in churches where this has happened, it didn't matter what you say. There was two sides and they are all right on their own side. So if everybody's right on their own side, is the conflict ever resolved? No. It's never resolved. It goes on. Was there peace? Was there fellowship in that body? Inside the cliques, but not in the church. There was conflict. In the home, it can be the same way. If there's constant conflict, and you're right, she's right, the kids are sitting there going, when I'm with dad, he's right. When I'm with mom, she's right. So i got to remember that. <laughs> right? They don't want to be the cause of the fight. They want to be with whoever's right. Because that's what life teaches us. Power is not something you demand or deserve. It's something you express. It is something that you express. We talked about that a little earlier. If I evaluate my motives and I realize my motives are to try to change you, that's a wrong motive. If my motive is to give you my experience so that you can look more clearly at your experience and make a better choice, that would be appropriate. Iron sharpeneth iron. So does the countenance of another man sharpen his friend's countenance. The ultimate expression of power is love. You know, we get into this thing of power being that I want to win and I got the right answers and I've looked at this closely so I know I'm right. It's the way it is. Well, that person feels just as equally the same way. The ultimate expression of power is love. It's the ability not to express power but to restrain from it. The fight involves two people trying to point the other one wrong. Love says we can have differing points. Uh, points of view and I can still love you especially when you're dealing with somebody who's an atheist your goal is not to make them look wrong and tell them how wrong they are your goal is to influence them by your walk that is a power expressed that's not power taken that's power expressed you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth but I tell you do not resist an evil person if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. That was another statement from Christ saying, you're not going to change somebody who doesn't want to change, and it's not your job. It's his job. An evil person is not going to want to listen to you. If you go after them because they hurt you, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, what's the outcome of that? I, when someone tells me they want to deal with something, I'll say, okay, let's stop right here. Why do you want to deal with it? Is it because you want to be right and point out that they're wrong? Or is it because you want to make amends because of what you're dealing with? Don't ask me to be a part of a power struggle. I don't want to be. 
I want to be part of a resolution, part of, of resolving conflict. Now we're going to go into the law of envy. The New Testament speaks, speaks strongly against an envious heart. The New Testament speaks strongly against an envious heart. And I think James 4.2 is a good example of that. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. The first verse talks about where does conflict and fighting come from? It comes from within, out of our hearts. Out of our sinful hearts. That's where conflict comes from. Envy, and we'll look at this a little closer, the source of envy. Envy was Satan's sin. The reason he was kicked out of heaven was he exalted himself against God. He wanted to be righteous and be looked up to the way that God was. He was cast down because of that pride. So envy was Satan's sin and ours as a direct result of the fall. That's what we have absorbed out of the sin nature. Since Adam and Eve, we have a lot of pride. And at the core of that is, I want. It's probably the barest emotion we have. It's, the, it's, it's at the core of our sinful nature. Envy defines good as, as what I do not possess. In other words, I want. And it hates the good that it has. In other words, it can't get enough. I want, I want, I want. It is a self-perpetuating cycle. As soon as they get, they want something else. As soon as they get what you have, that's not going to be good enough. They go on to somebody else who has something bigger and better. As soon as I get that Ford F-150, whatever they are, I don't know the truck sizes too well. Rob could tell us those. <laughs> I want a Chevy Silverado. It's not big enough or strong enough. I want this. I want a Mercedes-Benz. Look at the world around you. At the core of that is envy. Envy is destructive in that it guarantees that we will not get what we want and keeps us perpetually insatiable and dissatisfied. A lot of words just to say, I'm never happy with what I have. I'm always wanting more. It's greed. It's greed. I want, I want, I want, I want. Galatians 6.4 Each one should test his own actions and then he can take pride in his work. I think another interpretation there is take confidence or rather than the word pride, without comparing himself to somebody else. Why do you want what you want? Is it because you want to get one up on people? Is it because you want to look better to people? He says, don't compare yourself to others. Come to me and we'll talk about what's next for you. Because I have more for you. I have a plan for your life. You can't see what that plan is. And the main reason you can't see it is because you want what you want. And it's not always going to be what I want for you. Man does not always understand what the Lord is trying to do in his life. He has his own thoughts. God thinks differently. It is not wrong to question oneself and evaluate our needs as long as we are not comparing ourselves to others. It's kind of what Galatians is telling us there. 
The self-evaluation should be looking within and saying, what do I need to do for my home to be better? What do I need to do in order to be ready to do what the Lord wants me to do? That is not envying. That's self-evaluation and looking at yourself and then looking to God and saying, what do you want from me next? Your envy should always be a sign to you that you are lacking something, but not as a result of envying others. It, David would be a good example of this. He really wanted to be like God. He wanted to be all that God could want him to be. He realized throughout his life in the sinful choices that he made, this is not where happiness is at. This is not where the Lord honors and blesses me. My pride got in the way. My envy got in the way. My, my selfishness got in the way. I chose a woman I should have never chosen. I murdered her husband. How many other wars? The reason he couldn't be, build the temple because there was too much blood on his hands. But yet the scriptures say he was a man after God's heart. I think it goes back to this point. His heart and his, his whole motivation was, I've made bad choices, but ultimately I want to live for you and I want you to be honored in my life. That was his motivating drive. Even though we make bad choices, God will forgive us and say, get back on road, get back on track. Human beings are responders and initiators. We're moving into the law of activity. Human beings are responders and initiators. Many times we have boundary problems because we lack initiative. The law of activity says that I'm always working and doing towards being who God wants me to be. I'm always evaluating, and then when God shows me, I'm stepping out in faith and doing what he wants me to do. Many times we have boundary problems because we lack the initiative. How many times do you feel like not having your devotions? Be honest. There are times it's like, I don't have time. i got to get up. i got to get to work. I slept in. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. So who gets the short end of the, of the relationship? God. The best boundaries are formed when a child is pushing against the world naturally and the outside world sets its limits on the child. Those are the best boundaries. When a child is with his parent and he runs off into a crowd, all of a sudden he'll look up and he'll go, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> and he comes back. Those are good boundaries. The good sense of right and wrong is when in, in life we realize by what's happening around us, I need to ask God what to do here. I need direction from the Lord. I don't want to do something wrong. I don't want to make the wrong decision. Those are natural boundaries or natural forces in the world saying, where are you going now? What's your next step? Who are you going to be? What kind of a parent do you want to be? What type of a spouse do I need? Those are all natural forces that push you to make choices and to set boundaries. God's Word has a lot to say about those boundaries. Evil is an active force as well, and passivity can become an ally of evil just by pushing against it. Just by not pushing against it. Key word there. When I see evil happening and I don't do anything to stop it, I'm as much a part of that evil as the evil itself. Especially when it comes to your home. God will match our efforts. He will not do the work for us. 
Trying, failing, and trying again is called learning. If we throw up our hands and say, that's just the way I am, I'm never going to change, that's the wrong attitude to have if you're in a relationship with the Lord. God's grace covers our failures, but it is not but it cannot make up for the passivity. If I choose to continue not to respond to him, that's disobedience. He can't bless that. He cannot honor it. Hebrews 10:38 to 39. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I mean, that says it as clear as can be. God is not honored when you won't step out in faith and do what he wants you to do. When his spirit speaks to you and he wants you to get involved and you say, "Uh, I might get hurt there. I might not look good in that situation. I don't think I can do a good job. We have all the reasons why we're not going to do it. He says, don't shrink back in your faith. Those who believe and are saved should be moving forward. Our boundaries can only be created by our being active and aggressive. And in the Bible it uses the terms by our knocking, seeking, and asking. Activity, the law of activity says, I am spending time, as Christ said in the scriptures, you don't have because you don't ask. And sometimes you don't have because you don't ask in faith. We need to be reaching out and moving forward. And then we'll go to Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks the door will be opened. I don't know how we could get much clearer of that. That was, on the, that was the Sermon on the Mount when Christ was giving the Beatitudes. He's saying you need to be active. You need to get up and get motivated. You need to be seeking, knocking, open, looking for the door to open, and I will show you. The last law, and I'll give you the information here, is exposure. You do not exist in a vacuum. You exist in relationship to God and others. Those of us who don't like groups or we, do, we, don't, we have a struggle with passivity, we need to realize you are not alone. No one is alone. God did not create you that way. He said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. He created us to be a part of a body, a group of people, a family. We exist in relationship to those other people and how God uses those people as well as my spirit in a relationship to him. But when we're angry and we're all frustrated, we get into tunnel vision, what do we do? We isolate. Worst thing you can do. Sometimes it's good to get alone to clear your head, but if you're getting alone just to pout or be angry, that's not being proactive, and that is, that's a dangerous situation you put yourself in. The law of exposure says that your boundaries need to be visible to others and communicated to them in relationship. Why he, he, why Paul talked a lot about the body being like the physical body. There's the eyes, the ears, the hands. Everybody has a part to play in this body. We are, we are to live in relationship to others, especially those in the family that God has placed around us.
Many boundaries are relational in nature and can only be solved in relationships because that is the context of the problem itself. That is the context of the problem itself. Let's look at Ephesians 4.25 and 26. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body, and in your anger do not sin, but do not let the sun go down on your wrath while you're anger. A clear direction. We will get angry, but don't set in it. Deal with it. And the best place to deal with it is before nighttime. Because it's going to stew. It's going to affect your sleep. You need to resolve it. Come to a point where there's resolution. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But everything exposes, everything exposed by light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Everything is exposed by the light of God. Everything comes into perspective when we look at it the way God looks at it. God wants a relationship with us and he wants us to have real relationships with each other. It's no secret. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come out of the dark, though, of your past, out of the dark of your own sin. He wants you to walk in love and in light, in relationship to one another. Real relationships means that I am in the light with my boundaries, everybody can see them, and other aspects of my life that are difficult to communicate. People know my relationship with God by the way I live. Our boundaries are affected by sin. They miss the mark and need to be brought into the light for God to heal them. That involves confession. Exposure is not bad. It is good when it's in the light of God. Psalms 51.6 Surely you desire, desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. From the Song of Solomon, or from David's song in Psalms 51, we've covered the ten laws, and you can start to see how those laws all kind of connect. The point being that, what is your motivation? What do you use to evaluate and to look at? Do I need to bring this into the exposure of the light? What What is God teaching me through His Word? If you're in the Word. That is the best thing you can do because God will work through his word. When you come to church, that is good because he will work through others in the church. If you and your spouse are in the word, he will work through each one of you as you're in the word. That's the way he works. Bring it into the light. I will show you. Confess. Deal with sin. Stay in the light. This has laid the groundwork for what's going to go into now talking about boundary problems in relationships, marriage, family, friends. So the next chapters out over are going to give us examples of how to apply these laws and to look at the problems. So hopefully you're reading ahead and catching up if you're not.